In the continuation of our series on biblical discernment, we've been asking and answering the question, does God care how we worship Him? Is there a right way to worship God? Is there a wrong way to worship God? If so, what are the standards and what are the guidelines? Are there principles that the practices of worship ought to be funneled through? Do we have the freedom to incorporate what we like or what we think is best in worship? Are styles of worship a matter of one's preferences or denomination? Is one's sincerity the most important element of worship? Is one's feelings the most important element of worship? And now I want to ask, how about one's entertainment? Should our methods of worship and church ministry be determined by someone's personal gratification? How do we know what things are right and what things are wrong? Who says that some things are accepted in worship? And other things are not. And the obvious answer to this question is, God has given us His Word so that we might have the answers. Remember, Jesus says in John 4, 24, that God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him from the heart in the inner man according to the way that He has prescribed. God must be worshipped according to the entire counsel of His holy word. Which means then that there is a divine standard that ought to order and influence the way we worship God. Jesus is teaching us in John chapter 4 that our worship of the Father ought to be suitable to His person and agreeable to His will. We ought to worship God according to His preferences, not ours. So turning to God's Word once again for answers, for guidance, for wisdom and understanding in these matters of worship, the questions that I want to ask and answer this evening are... Is Christ's church to be driven by fun? Is entertainment to be the driving focus of church worship? Is our amusement to be the deciding factor of what we incorporate in church ministry? Let's see if God has something to say about this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And before I read the text, I want you to recognize two important details about our text. And the first thing to understand as we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4 is that these words that are spoken are divine words given by God. They are not the opinions of men. And specifically, we need to understand that these words are not Paul's opinions. They are God's opinions. And remember what Paul tells Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then the Apostle Peter says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this means then that what God says in His Word, what God says in these pastoral epistles, what God says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is authoritative and sufficient. So we ought to receive the Word of God Not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. These are divine words given from heaven. 
And the second needful thing to understand is that Paul is giving Timothy, here in this letter, wisdom and instruction regarding how Christ's church ought to be shepherded. How Christ's church ought to be administered. In First and Second Timothy, we are given details regarding how God's people ought to behave themselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. In these two books, First and Second Timothy, we find divine instructions regarding who should be the pastor and who should not. We find divine instructions regarding who can be a deacon and who cannot. We find divine instructions regarding what Timothy as a pastor should be giving himself to as a minister of the gospel. And then we find divine instructions regarding what the church ought to be giving itself to collectively in regards to the elements of public worship as well as It's individual ministry, one toward another. So going back to the question, does God care how we approach Him? Does God care how we worship Him? Does God care how we serve Him? Does God care who the pastor is? Does God care what the pastors do with their time? Does God care how pastors lead worship? Does God care what specific things are implemented within the worship service? And the answer is, of course, God cares. How do we know? We know because He has told us in His perfect and preserved Word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul, writing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to Timothy, a fellow gospel minister, says, I charge thee, I command thee. And notice, these are divine orders, not nice suggestions. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Pause. Notice the gravity of the charge. Paul is charging Timothy as one who will give an account of his life and ministry to God. This is serious business. This involves the oversight of Christ's bride, the bride in which he shed his blood for. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. What's the charge? Notice. Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, idle things, useless things, unprofitable things, nonsense. Paul says to Timothy, but watch thou in all things. Watch, because we have an enemy. Watch, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is going about seeking whom he may devour. Watch, Timothy, because Satan can transform himself into an image of light. Watch, Timothy, because there are false prophets and false teachers who infiltrate the church. Watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy Ministry. These are Paul's marching orders given to Timothy. Timothy, you're about to be thrust into ministry. You are in ministry. This is serious. You're a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You are responsible for souls. You will give an account to God for souls. So take it seriously. Preach the word. Give yourself, Acts chapter 6, verse 4, to prayer and to the ministry of the word so that Christ might be glorified in all things. Now question. Where is the suggestion in this text that it is Timothy's calling as an overseer to entertain the church? Where are the biblical directives to make sure that Timothy spends his days making sure that people have fun when they come to church? Come on, I'm being serious. Where does Paul tell Timothy, Timothy, now it's vital that you let whoever do whatever in the church so long as everyone is having a good time. Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look out at the world and I want you to see what you can implement from the world in the church to get people to come to church and to keep them in the church. The text says nothing of such things. The text says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Preach the word. And as you preach, Timothy, you need to tell others what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. You need to reprove, rebuke, and exhort in your preaching with all long-suffering and doctrine. And by the way, people don't like it when you reprove and rebuke. People will get mad at you. People will leave the congregation. But that's what you need to do. You need to preach like Christ. Christ went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Timothy, you need to give God's people doctrine that they can chew on and benefit from. You need to know the word personally so that you might teach the word faithfully. Because there's a time coming, Timothy, when people will despise the truths of God's word for the opinions of man. Paul says, Timothy, there's a time coming when professing Christians will run after preachers, churches, and ministries that will suit their own carnal tastes. There will be a time, Timothy, when you look as a man, as a pastor, to be a failure for doing exactly what God wants you to do. Because most will flock to those churches and teachers that are not straightforward in their preaching and they're not dogmatic in their doctrine. Can I just pause and say, that time that Paul is referring to is here. People don't want Bible doctrine. People want fun and entertainment. And to show you what I mean, I want to work our way through a PowerPoint presentation filled with pictures that I come across every week portraying how fun has become the driving focus of most churches. And as I go through the pictures, I want you to sincerely, humbly think of the following questions. As we look at these pictures, I want you to ask yourself this. Is this glorifying to God? Are they the best way to represent Christ and His gospel? Does what I'm seeing with my eyes promote godliness? Does it promote spiritual maturity? Does it show forth separation from the world? And then what biblical truths or principles can support these practices? And remember, we're talking about biblical discernment and biblical discernment in the Christian life. Now, biblical discernment in church worship. And remember, Spurgeon says, discernment is not the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. 
And then also remember that the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 says that it is needful for believers to approve things that are excellent, that we may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. So don't ask what's wrong with it merely. Ask what's right with this. How does this promote the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus' name? Discernment. Discernment. Why do we need discernment? Well, I won't re-preach my first message to you. You can go back online and listen to that. But we need discernment because we have an enemy. People are infiltrating the church with all sorts of gimmicks, philosophies, and opinions. We need discernment because God has called us to be a people of wisdom. We need discernment so that we will glorify God in all things. So we turn to the slideshow now, and you'll notice here at the introductory slide, this is a sign outside of a church that says, it's not just church, it's fun. Now, this is a church that I used to pass by in Washington every other week. And I took this picture myself about 15 years ago. And when I saw the sign, I said, that sums up what church has become today. It's not just church. It's fun. And we're advertising to the world that what we are doing in this place is primarily fun. And here you see, outside of a children's ministry, two little girls holding up signs. The one says, we are here to have fun. And the other says, we are here to make friends. Now you might say, well, pastor, what's wrong with it? These are two cute little girls holding up nice signs as people come into the church. Well, stop, think, and ask yourself, is this the philosophy of Christ's church? Are we here to have fun? Or are we here to learn about Christ? Are we here to grow in Him? Are we here to lift up His name? We're here to make friends. Yes, that's a byproduct of our coming to church, but that is not the main focus of coming to church. And can I say also, where did sign ministry come into place? This is a new fad within churches. People holding up sign and signs ministry. Where did this come from? People flipping signs on the corner, come to the car wash. And then the other sign here, you're looking fantastic today. And right under those words it says, is that a new haircut? Wow. What does this speak of? This is pointing to somebody's personal appearance. And you're looking fantastic today. It's all about you. And now your looks and now your opinions. So uh, take the two side by side. We're here to have fun. And by the way, you're looking super handsome. How does that prepare us for worship? How does that fix our mind on the eternal things of God? This is a social media post. This Sunday after church, we're having a tailgate party. Now, time out. The world does tailgate parties before football games. And do you know what they involve? A lot of drinking, a lot of carousing, a lot of immorality, a lot of getting ready to worship their favorite idol. This Sunday after church, we're having a tailgate party. And by the way, wear your favorite team jersey. This is another fad among churches and among those who would call themselves Baptist conservative churches. Wear your favorite team jersey to church. Now that's fun, but why are we bringing the world into the church? Why do we want to associate with men who want nothing to do with God? Why do we want to remind ourselves of Brett Favre and Emmett Smith and Patrick Mahomes and such people? Don't we want to separate ourselves from the things of this world? Even things that can distract. Now, football in and of itself is not inherently sinful. Amen? Are you with me? It's, there's nothing wrong with watching a football game. I love watching a good football game. But bringing it into the church 
You're telling a story. And the story is, we want more of what the world has and we need to use the world's method to reach others for Christ. This is obviously gods and idols that the world worships. Why do we want to associate with that? The fun on the field is going to be highlighted at the Easter services. We'll be hosting the largest Easter egg hunt in the community. Be sure to mark your calendars for any of our four service times on Easter weekend. This is a new fad where churches are encouraging church members to dress up like the Easter bunny. Another fad is they rent a field, they rent a helicopter, and they drop Easter eggs full of candy to kids so that they might attract others to church. Continuing in that theme, you can't help but see the irony in this photo. Uh, This is a real picture from a Baptist church. Easter bunny underneath the sign saying, He is risen. Who is risen? The Easter bunny? I thought our focus was to be on Christ. Remember that old saying, Jesus is the reason for the season? We say that Jesus is the reason for the season, but we're showing that He's really not. It's really about fun and games, and some churches are even doing pictures with the Easter bunny. Leave that for the mall. Leave that for Walmart. But we're to lift up Christ. The Bible says, in all things, He is to have the preeminence. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What is the Easter bunny? But a fun, pagan fairy tale in which we tell kids that this figure leaves them presents and candy. Turning to Christmas, a new fad among churches, Christmas sweater Sunday. Now that's fun, isn't it? We're going to have an ugly Christmas sweater contest. And the contest winner will leave with a $200 gift card. How is that helpful? We want to purposely dress up to be ugly when we worship our beautiful God? And then now people at Christmas time are doing Santa Claus evangelism. Santa Claus. There was a time when Santa Claus was fully removed from the local church because Santa Claus in many ways emulates God. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been naughty or good, so be good for goodness sake. Santa Claus is not eternal. Santa Claus is not all-knowing, but God is. Now, if you want to have fun in your home and you want to have Santa Claus decorations in your home and you don't bow down to Santa Claus, that's up to you and your house to do what you want to do. But why bring it into the church? Why fuzzy the lines of separation? God is a gift giver, not Santa. And now we're saying God and Santa have co-equal parts within Christ church. Well, here's a church doing Second Amendment Sunday. Announcing our Second Amendment Sunday, November 5th. Does the Bible have anything to say about the Second Amendment? Is it okay for Christians to own and carry guns? Come learn what the Bible has to say about the Second Amendment. I own guns. I love shooting guns. I'm glad we have the Second Amendment. But again, why are we bringing trivial things into the church? Why are we focusing on guns more than God? And then where does this stop? What other amendments should we focus on? Should we just preach the Constitution? Did Paul tell Timothy, Timothy, preach the Constitution? No, he said preach the Word. This is Aloha Sunday. Many churches are doing this. Dress in your Hawaiian clothes. We're going to take a trip to Hawaii. Now again, okay, what's wrong with this? Well, where does this stop? Are we going to have Japanese Sunday the next Sunday? Are we going to have Filipino Sunday the next Sunday? Are we going to have Russian Sunday the next Sunday? Why Aloha Sunday? What's the purpose? Where did this come from? A lot of times when Aloha comes... Aloha Sunday comes, people are tempted to wear miniskirts. 
Do we want to encourage that? Short tank tops? Flip flops? Why are we pretending to go to the beach when we come to church? If you want to go to the beach, go to the beach. If you want to go to Hawaii, go to the Hawaii. But where did this come from? Aloha Sunday. Where do we find Jesus telling his disciples, hey, bring your surfboards, boys. We're going to have Aloha Sunday this Sunday. Think about it. Discernment. Test all things. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. And then turn away from that which is unprofitable. This is a youth rally where churches and colleges invite teenagers to come and they have preaching, but before the preaching, it looks like they turned their auditorium into a Dude Perfect concert. Youth pastors doing slam dunk competitions and mascots and all sorts of carnival acts. And again, I'm asking, how does this help teenagers mature? How does this give them a high reverence for God? Now, if you want to have fun and play basketball, go to a Harlem Globetrotters event. But why are we bringing it into the church? The next time they come into the sanctuary, that's what they're going to be thinking of. They're going to be thinking of animal mascots running across the platform. They're going to be remember making light of holy things. When you're greeted by Jesse and Woody at the church, this is a Twitter post. Hashtag church, Woody, Jesse, Toy Story, fun. This is fun. You can go to church and be greeted by Disney characters. Are we going to Disneyland or are we going to church? Is there anything wrong with Toy Story? I don't think so. I've watched it. I don't think that there's anything suggestive. I don't think there's any problem with language at all. But again, why? Why bring it into the church? And and where do we stop? If we allow Toy Story, then why not the next film? Why not the next cartoon? Willy Wonka Family Fall Festival. Come into a world of pure imagination with our Willy Wonka-themed fall festival, trunk or treat, games, costumes, and prizes. Another secular movie. Nothing wrong with Willy Wonka in a sinful, carnal sense that I know of. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the old one at least that I know of, was one of my favorites. A lot of great lessons for parents. Discipline, disciplining their children if they don't. They're going to be swallowed up by Oompa Loompas. Not a bad movie. But again, why are we focused on bringing movies and secular things into God's Word, implementing it in worship? This is a Twitter post. Every worship team needs a praise skater. And I contemplated whether or not to show the video, but this is a video of a guy at a church during the singing, the worship part of the service, and he's just skating in place. He, just, he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do anything, but he's just skating in place. Where did that come from? We have skating arenas for that. What's next? This church in Colorado is doing a Star Wars-themed church today. Sorry, Thomas. But Star Wars? Why? And there are already questions about the origins of Star Wars and things that the author of Star Wars brings into the movie. Uh, Some of it being of various religions. And please take this with grace. Star Wars does show forth a female character wearing a bikini. I know that much because I used to watch the Star Wars episode before I became a Christian as a childhood. So naturally, people are going to think of the whole of Star Wars, and now we're bringing these things into the holy worship of God. Why? Why? And, and, and then we have people going around in Chewbacca costumes, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Luke Skywalker, and whatever characters there are in Star Wars. Okay, well, let's tone it down. You know, that's one thing, but John Wayne, he's cool, right? John Wayne, impersonator to visit a Midland church. John Wayne. What's wrong with John Wayne? We just watched a movie the other night. John Wayne, The Searchers. It was okay. The storyline was 
captivating. But again, where do we stop? We want to have Cowboy Sunday. Then we have Karate Sunday. Karate Kid. Let's, somebody wants to dress up like Karate Kid and then go to churches and be an evangelist. Is that okay? Where do we draw the line? Somebody wants to dress up like Tom Cruise and we'll have a Top Gun Sunday. Yeah, let's do that. I could be that. I'll just get those big glasses and I'll be the Top Gun evangelist. I could sign up for that. Like, why? Why? Well, it's fun. But there again, it's fun to be the driving motivator of church worship and service. These are two Facebook posts of church Twitter accounts and church Facebook accounts. On the one side, you see, Happy National Donut Day. Rank these donuts from best to work, glazed sprinkles, chocolate, and cream filled. And then the next post, get ready for week two of the Great Donut Challenge in September. Join us at 8.30 service this Sunday and pick your free donuts from Pink Box. Spread the word. Let's make this week even sweeter together. See you there. The Great Donut Challenge. Pink Box Donuts and Krispy Kreme Donuts and Randy's Donuts. Why are we posting this on social media? Are we a donut shop? What does this have to do with the Bible? What does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with sin and salvation? What do you think the world thinks about when they see this? This church is about donuts, and oftentimes it is. All you need is Jesus and donuts. And this is a new fad, donut walls. You need to have a wall with some pegs on a board so you can put donuts. So when people come in, they can grab a donut and grab a coffee. Now, time out. Think about that phrase. All you need is Jesus and donuts. And then we sing, all you need is Jesus. But you just said, all you need is Jesus and donuts. I thought Christ was sufficient. Well, we know that he is. Yes, we know that he is. But we're saying, all you need is Jesus and donuts. It's cute, it's entertaining, but it's subtle, do you see? It's not preaching the true message. And then most churches have coffee shops of some sort, and worshipers come in, visitors come in, and they ask, what kind of coffee do you serve here? If it's Folgers, I'm gone. If it's Starbucks or Caribou, we might be able to comply with that. Coffee, coffee. Do you have coffee? I'm not coming to Sunday school unless you have coffee and donuts you got to give the coffee and donuts to get people to come. This is a new fad with the recent Mario movie coming out. Super Sunday. Games, treats, and giveaways. Photos with Mario and Luigi. Kids' costumes are encouraged. Now, kids, how many of you would think this would be fun if Pastor Coleman dressed up like Mario and Brother Jesse dressed up like Luigi? And then we decorated the platform, as you can see, in a Nintendo Switch, I think it is, with Mario, and then we give away $200 Nintendo Switches. And the pastoral staff dresses up like Yoshi and Princess and all these things. You'll notice the title on the one side of this sermon of Mario says, Become as Little Children. Little irony there. Do we want to go back to being babes in Christ? We talked about that this morning in Sunday school from Hebrews. Are we too mature? Why are we bringing Super Mario into the church? This is Bowser leading worship. If you're not familiar with the new Mario movie, there's a segment in it where Bowser, the villain, sings a song to Peaches, his crush, the one that Mario ends up marrying or something. And Bowser sings a song, Peaches, Peaches, Peaches. And these people have taken those lyrics and now are singing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So kids are remembering the Peaches song, but they're changing it to Jesus. And you can just see how casual this is. The dark lights, and the, the skinny jeans, the t-shirt, it kind of just comes as a package. You can take your picture with Elvis on Mother's Day. I don't know who this is, but you can see his hairy chest. Why do we want that? 
We laugh at this. These are things that happen every week. These are things, posts. I, I didn't search long for these. I've been collecting these every week for years. I see it. My heart is burdened about these things. I'm thinking, why? Why? Elvis? Was Elvis pure? Oh, well, Elvis had a gospel album. Shaking his hips. Women yelling at him. Part of the sex culture. Churches are turning their kids' ministry into discovery zones. Chuck E. Cheese's. This is Kid City with McDonald Play Place toys. It's fun. I mean, kids would enjoy it. But what are we here for? What do we want kids to remember? And if we start off like this with kids when they're younger, you see the progression. We have to keep giving them entertainment as they get older because then they'll grow up to be 18 and say, I don't want to go to church. Adult church is boring. So we start off with this and then we end up to this. That's how it works. Speaking of kids' ministry, here's another kids' ministry room. Looks like a theater. Admit one free popcorn. And we're going to talk about the Bible, but we're going to pretend like we're in a movie theater. Another kids' youth group room. And this is something we've been programmed with. Again, don't take me wrong. Pool table, foosball tables, often basketball machines and such. It's fun. Kids like it. But what are we teaching? What's really the focus? What you win people with is what you keep people with. And speaking of youth, this pastor, this church puts on their social media account, today was one of those rare Sundays where none of our pastors were involved in the service. So I just got to go and be a regular church member today. It's awesome being a part of a church that is being the church. This is what they call youth-led worship night. The youth, the teenagers, oftentimes after camp when the emotions are high, the youth are going to do the entire service from the singing to the special music to the announcements to the preaching to the offering to everything. Now pause, think, why are we doing this? Teenagers who are still struggling with puberty. Teenagers who idolize Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber. Teenagers whose Facebook are completely worldly. Youth-led worship. Does the Bible have anything to say about who should be leading worship? Who should be preaching the Word? Who should be preaching the word? Are God called men, not the teens? Not young people who haven't wrestled with God, who don't have a clear testimony of salvation. I can tell you, most of the youth-led worship nights that I've seen, that I've been a part of, most of those teenagers are headlong in the world today. So I look back at those services and say, what did that profit? How did that help them? How did it help the church? And how did it help the kingdom of God? It was fun to see Our little kids involved in the church. But nowhere did Paul tell Timothy, Timothy, make sure that the teens just do whatever they want in a youth-led service. Youth lock-in. No sleeping allowed. So we're going to bring teenagers into the church. We're going to lock the doors. We're going to stay up all night so that they can play Xbox and Halo. So they can watch Toy Story. So what does that promote? Well, the next morning they're dead tired. Their parents have to deal with cranky kids. And then their mind is not in the right frame to worship God on Sundays. I've been a part of these all-night lock-ins. And it's Xbox with games that don't glorify the Lord. And then you have boys and girls in the same room sleeping next to each other. Why? What's the purpose? You want to have a sleepover at your own house? Your teens want to have friends over? That's one thing. But why are we using the church to lock teens in? It just kind of looks weird, especially in 2023. 92 kids came out for our back-to-school bash. Absolutely blew my expectations out of the water. God is at work in the children's ministry, and I'm thankful I get to be a part of it. 
How do you know God's at work in the children's ministry? Well, we had so many people come bounce on the bounce houses. So bouncing on bounce houses equals God's work. And these, mean, these people mean well. Don't get me wrong. But do you see we're equating numbers and fun to success? Can't find that in the Bible. Our bus has had human hot dog Sunday. This is a pastor tweeting, I appreciate the spirit of so-and-so to be the human hot dog for the children. Bus ministry still works. Jesus did not tell Peter, Peter, on Pentecost, I want you to be the human hot dog. And when you are, people are going to repent of their sins. They're going to cry out to the Lord. And there's going to be the greatest revival that ever has happened. Jonah was not running for his life because God told him to become a human hot dog. Jonah was commanded to preach repentance. This is fun. It's funny. Hot dogs are good. They taste okay, especially if they're barbecued. But again, success, God's work, equating with being a human hot dog. It's immature. It's inappropriate. Join us this Sunday. We're having a fall kickoff party. Inflatables, tons of great food, a car show, petting zoo, and more. Everything is free. All are welcome. Free gifts for first-time guests. Car show, petting zoo. This is a new fad movie night. Let's cancel the evening services and let's go outside to our lawn and show a movie. And funny enough, this movie that's being shown is not even spiritual in nature. If you can see it, it's Disney The Incredibles. And so again, how many Disney references have we seen already? And Disney in our day has gone woke. Disney is supporting anti-God philosophies. Why do we want to have anything with Disney? Now, what you do in your home with Disney, that is up to you. I'm not going to be pharisaical about it. But keep it separate from the church. The Incredibles? Come on. This is opposed to church. Pastor here in Southern California. The church is not here for entertainment. The church is here for edification. That's what he says. But look at the platform. And he's using, if you zoom in, he's using kids' building blocks to show some illustration. He's in tight, skinny jeans and an untucked T-shirt. And I know they have the rock band, and they really set up their church like a fun place of entertainment. They have donut walls and such. It's just so subtle. Again, they say the right thing. It's not here for entertainment. It's here for edification. But when you look at it and see it, they're using methods of entertainment. This is a picture of a church member here at Calvary uh, sent to me. They saw this billboard uh, when they were down south a few years ago. More than a church, it's a life-changing experience. This is the point. It's casual. It's real. It's relevant. Has great coffee, family-oriented, and awesome praise and worship. Casual. Casual. Were the priests casual in their service to the Lord in the temple? Did the author of Hebrews tell us to be casual or did he tell us to reverence God, to come before his presence with godly fear? Now, we are to be real. I can agree with that. Relevant. What do you mean by that? Great coffee. Where does coffee play in? How does that make a difference of where I go to church? Family oriented. The church is to be family oriented. An awesome praise and worship. The music is central. Do you see? Nothing about the Bible. Nothing about preaching salvation by grace through faith. Nothing about Jesus saves sinners. And nothing about Jesus alone will satisfy your soul. It's all about you. It's all about me. It's all about our church and what we can do for you. And that's what we find in a lot of these churches. Ripped jeans and casualness. Looks like they just got done playing volleyball. Hands in the air. The worship team singing loudly while the congregation tries to sing along as well. A lot of lights, a lot of fog machines, a lot of smoke, a lot of humor. And we go back to our beginning slide. It's not just church. 
It's fun. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I cannot imagine the Apostle Paul bouncing up to the platform, cracking a few jokes to put the congregation at ease, and then entertaining them with flippancies in order to play upon their feelings. He's right. Charles Spurgeon says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry. Where do the entertainers come in? The Holy Spirit is silent concerning them. Were the prophets persecuted because they amused the people or because they refused? The concert has no martyr role. And Spurgeon also says, A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Remember, we'll be there. First Peter chapter 5, Peter exhorts the elders, feed the flock. That's what you are to do. It coincides with what Paul tells Timothy. Give yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word because it's the word that changes. It's the word that sanctifies. Your role is not to entertain. Your role is not to be a clown. Your role is not to turn the church into a circus. And this is my problem. People have taken the church and they've hijacked it. They are dressing up Christ's bride to look like a prostitute. And the prophet said those exact words. You've played the part of a whore. Those are Bible words. And listen, when Christ comes back, He's going to start with His judgment coming towards pastors. And pastors who perverted the worship of God. That very church which the world likes best is sure to be that which God abhors. Charles Spurgeon A.W. Tozer, a church fed on excitement, is no New Testament church at all. The desire for surface stimulation is a sure mark of the fallen nature, the very thing Christ died to deliver us from. So I want you to see that what I am telling you tonight is not some new doctrine, not some new philosophy. Other men of God in past have spoken and spoken loudly against these things and have tried to prepare God's people to be discerning. So back to our questions. When did fun become a requirement or an incentive for going to church? Why are we bringing the world into the church? How is it that so many Christians are okay with these things? Where in the Bible do we find the ministry of the prophets being characterized by fun? Did Jeremiah juggle? Where do we read of John the Baptist dressing up like an Easter bunny? Was John the Baptist beheaded because he dressed up like an Easter bunny and gave away candy? Where do we read of Jesus encouraging others to dress up like their favorite Roman gods for church? Or the apostles putting together a Friday night bowling league? Who among the martyrs, who among the reformers, who among the great pastors and missionaries of church history that were greatly used of God gave themselves to such trivial things? If Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, William Carey, David Brainerd, Matthew Henry, Martin Lloyd-Jones, George Mueller, William Tyndale, John Owen, John Bunyan did not employ such methods in their ministry, the question I'm asking is, why not? What was their problem? Did they not know their Bibles? Were they not men of prayer? Do you really think that our triune God is okay with all that I have showed you? Do you really think that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, would speak commendable words to pastors and churches who are implementing worldly practices in His church? Did Jesus rebuke any of the seven churches in Revelation for not being fun enough? You see, the problem is not with the reformers or the martyrs or great pastors and missionaries of past. The problem is not with the prophets and the apostles. The problem is with us. We've re redefined what the church is. 
We've redefined what worship ought to consist of, and we have redefined how we ought to reach others for Christ. We've told ourselves that it doesn't matter how we worship God because we've told ourselves that worship is subjective, not objective. And let me close by saying, the pictures that I have just showed you in this slideshow reek of irreverence, sacrilege, worldliness, casualness, foolishness, and apostasy. They reek of making holy things light and substituting preaching and prayer for food, fun, and fellowship. And I've really only scratched the surface. I've focused our attention on ministries that would claim to be Bible-believing, Bible-preaching ministries, many of which would call themselves, quote, conservative churches. I'm not even dealing with the Rick Warrens and the Saddlebacks and the Joel Osteens. I could be here all night showing you examples. But what I'm saying is our heart ought to be affected by what we see. We should be weeping over this. Remember, the zeal of God's house ate Jesus up. When Jesus saw the temple being given over to a place of business, people making holy things light, in righteous indignation, he flipped over tables and chased people out with a whip. Why? Because God's glory, God's honor, God's holiness was being perverted. So where's the righteous indignation today? And if your response tonight is, Pastor, you're just too critical. You're just too negative. You're just too pharisaical. You're judging. These people are sincere. God doesn't matter if we dress up like a Disney theme park. He doesn't care if we encourage church members to dress up like Santa Claus. Well, my challenge is for you to go back to Scripture and prove me wrong. That's my challenge to you tonight. If you disagree and disagree strongly, be a Berean believer. Don't take what I say because I say it. Only agree with it if you believe that this is what God's authoritative word says. Acts 17, 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So my challenge to you tonight is, where in the Bible does it say or show that fun and entertainment is to be the foundation of the church and the focus of the pastor's ministry? Fun has become the driving focus of Christ's church. But my question is, is Christ's church to be driven by fun?